Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me, give us a follow and maybe even leave us a review while you're there. On today's episode, we're excited to welcome Steve Mokler. Now, Steve is getting set to release his new album, Make a Little Room, in August. But his musical career dates back to 2007 when he released his debut EP, The Weight of Words. Now, we had a great time talking about the musical journey in Nashville, as well as some very special family members who have inspired his journey. So please enjoy our conversation with Steve Mokler. Been working on a little um, like construction site sandbox in the backyard with my from my boys this this morning. Nice. Uh, so yeah, it's been good. It's, it's a beautiful and hot day out there. I broke a good sweat. It's a good way to start the day. That's for sure. And so do you have like a little piece of land out there? Um, it's a little piece of land. It's, it's not like a farm or anything. It's a, we just live on about an acre. We live in a subdivision, but, um, we backed up to some woods and that go on for a mile. So we're kind of right on the edge out here. And so growing up, you were more in the suburbs. So did you ever have that dream of like having land and living more in the country or did that not come until you sort of moved to Nashville? No, you know, I, I mean, I, I've always loved, you know, the country, you know, and, and, uh, but no, I would say, you know, I grew up, yeah, I grew up in the suburbs and, you know, where, where I grew up was really the last town in, within the, the, the county, the city's in, right? So when you go one more town, it gets very rural. And it's honestly almost exactly where I live now. We live right over the, the county line. And I think it honestly kind of is, is the sound of my music too, you know? It's kind of one foot in, in, in rural America and then one foot, you know, with a modern edge toward the city. So that's just, it just feels like home to me right on that's the edge. That's awesome. That's awesome. And now growing up, let's talk about your first guitar. I think you were about three or four. I saw a picture of you holding a little guitar. Oh, now, was, wow. was that something that you asked for? Or was that just more your parents saying, here's a guitar. Do you like it? Yes. So that guitar, that I know the picture you're talking about. I'm amazed you found that photo. Um, that was just, a toy you know and I, I was about three or four but I, I didn't really get into to guitar yet I did love music you know from a young age my dad always worked from home uh, he was an architect and worked for himself and worked in our basement and he had a, it's a great music collection so I I grew up kind of sitting in his office coloring and you know drawing stuff and and listening to his records um, but it wasn't until I was 14 that I really realized I wanted to play guitar so my first guitar, I did ask my parents for, I wanted a Fender Stratocaster. Um, and my mom was hesitant to buy me one because I had quit everything else I ever did. You know, my mom, right. she was there frugal, you know, with their money. But my grandmother lived with me at the time after my pat passed away. And she overheard me begging my mom for a guitar and heard her saying no. And um, she, she started dating this guy um, named Tony, who was a limousine driver. And he collected all kinds of all kinds of random stuff, you know, bowling balls and fishing rods and guitars. So I didn't know that. But one morning I came down from school 
And there was this 1980s Alvarez guitar. Actually, it's sitting right there. I could sh- it's this guitar, right? Yeah, right that's there. awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask you because I saw a few years ago you were fixing it up and getting it back in playing condition. So I was wondering if it was still in the arsenal for you. Still there. Yeah, so that, that was, yeah, I just, and really, you know, I want an electric guitar, but I, re- I started learning on the acoustic guitar, which is what I play to this day. And uh, I yeah, still use it. I actually have it in the high-strung tuning. Um, so it's kind of an accessory guitar if I want a particular sound, but it's a really, really, really cool guitar. Yeah. What does it mean to you now after all these years and sort of the story behind it? Does it mean a lot more than just if your parents would have gone out and got you a guitar? It, it, it really does. And, um, you know, it really the connection to it has so much to do with my grandmother. As I mentioned, my grandmother moved in with me uh, with our family after my pat passed away. So she lived with me for through my formative years, really from third grade through high school. Oh, wow. So she was a huge, she passed away a couple of years ago, but we were so close and she imparted so many of what, what is now like really my absolute favorite thing. She, my, my faith, really, I, I owe so much of that to her. Um, my love of Italian food. She's a hundred percent Italian. Um, and and honestly, country music itself, you know, my mom and dad really didn't listen to a lot of country music. They did at certain periods in their life, but that really wasn't their their main genre. But my grandma was a huge country music fan. So when we would drive to church together, her and I, we would listen to country radio and, and you know, she had cassette tapes and stuff. And that was really my emotional introduction to, to country music. And what was the journey like with her of that special bond you had with her. And then in the later years, as you were losing her to dementia, Alzheimer's, what was that journey like throughout those times? Man, you did your homework, dude. (laughs) Well, um, it was, you know, it's tough. You know, I moved to Nashville when I was 18. And when I, at the time I left, my grandmother was sharp as a tack and um, you know, you just kind of think she's always going to be like that. And, you know, when I down here and for the first five years I was here, I wasn't even really sentimental about going back home yet. You know, I was in my early twenties and I was, so, I was just looking forward and it wasn't until I, I kind of hit my mid twenties that I started to go, man, you know, just realized how important my upbringing was to me, is to me. And that was when I started to, that's actually when I made my steel town album, which is kind of a an ode to, to where I grew up and who raised me. And that was when I really started to, to make a point to go see my grandmother. Um, when I, and, and that was when she started to battle dementia. So, you know, at first, you know, it was, it was funny, you know, that you, you kind of laugh at some of the things she says. And then as that, as her dementia progressed, it got, it got really difficult. Um, I know it was extra hard for my family that was there every day and, 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 you know, dealing with, you know, just the pain of that. For me, it was hard in a different way because I, would, I, would, I wouldn't come home for, you know, four or five months and I'd come home and, and it'd be, she'd be a different person and there'd be parts of her that I wouldn't get to see again. And um, so it, was, it felt like saying goodbye to somebody um, slowly over time. Um, and that was, it was really hard. It was a really tough deal. Um, but, I, you know, at the same time, there were some sweet moments in there, too, going to see her. I remember one time I was when I was on my first radio tour, I stopped through to see her and um, and I and I went in and performed my single 
you know, suitcase for her and her friends and they were all having lunch in there. And that was one of, one of my favorite memories of her in that phase. It was really sweet. And now on your last album, the song, When You Could Still Remember, at the end, is that her that's singing with you? That is her, yeah. Um, so that was kind of in, you know, probably one of our last five visits. I, I went to see her and, um, you know, she did not remember who I was. And, and she kept humming this little tune. She kept going, hmm, 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 hmm. And my aunt, who was taking care of her a lot, you know, she's like, she keeps doing that. I don't know what song that is. And I was like, wait, I think I know what sing. I said, and sing my soul. And she lit up and she, so she was singing How Great Thou Art. And so I started singing it to her and she sang with me and we locked eyes. And it was one of those, it was, it was, I'll say that was it. So the, the suitcase thing was cool, but that was the most precious time that we had in those, in the last, you know, 10 years of her being alive. And it was just, we were looking right into each other's souls. Um, and that was kind of, it was so much comfort to me. And so I, I recorded that as a video because I wanted to remember the moment. Oh, okay. And that song wasn't even written yet, but after the song was written, I said, I told my producer, Nick LaBelle, who I wrote it with, I was like, man, I think it'd be, we could, if we could get the audio from this video and put this at the end, uh, that would really, I mean, I just think it'd be really powerful. And for me, that song is so sad. It's so achy, you know, it's, 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 it's a painful song, which it is, but I, I really wanted to end with the hope um, that we, you know, that we have in our faith and, and for that to be the last taste people have in their mouth when they hear the song. So that was, that's kind of the journey of how all that came together. It's kind of a long story. That's amazing. And another special person in your life that we have to talk about is your grandpa and Siddle's saloon, of course. Now, talk about him as a person before we talk about his bar. Talk about him as a person. And throughout this journey, now that you're older, what parts of him you've taken with you just in your personality and how you live your life? Well... So the thing about my, my grandpa Siddle was his nickname. He passed away when I was really young. I mean, I was five years old. Oh, so, okay. so I feel like, you know, my memories of him are, you know, sitting on his lap on his, uh, you know, his lawnmower, you know, they, and, uh, and sit next to him, what, you know, on his lap when he's watching Western movie, he loved watching Westerns all the time and he'd fall asleep snoring, watching Westerns and, um, and he also threw these amazing picnics. Like it's, it's cool. We, and we just came off Memorial day, but he had the biggest Memorial day picnic of, and it was, it was awesome. They had this big old backyard and picnic tables out there. He was just a, he was just a host, you know, he loved to entertain. He loved to create an atmosphere for people to have a good time. And um, that's the stuff that I remember, but then there's all the things that I'm told about him, you know, like his, his work ethic um, you know, he was a, he was a mechanic and he and his brothers had a fleet of Mac flatbed trucks and they, and they'd haul concrete block around. And, um, you know, he was, he was just a blue, a hardworking blue collar guy. And he was all about family and friends and, and, uh, making the most of life. You know, he had a big, big old garden. So as I'm saying all that, I realize there's a lot that I, I take from that, you know, I, I see in a lot of ways, I see myself as a working class musician, you know, and 
I like, as I mentioned, I, I like to break a sweat. I love physical labor. I love uh, entertaining and creating an atmosphere. Um, that's a lot of what putting on a show is. So there's a lot. Uh, I, and I like to garden, although I'm, I'm not very good at it because I'm always out of town. But And so Siddle Saloon is a bar that he built in his basement. And then your uncle took it and sort of moved it to another room within the house, but it was still there. Now within it's still, it's still there. Yeah. Still and there. do you have a mini version in your basement? So I, I did. We, we actually moved two years ago. I, I had a, we had an authentic dive bar in our basement. Um, but now this is kind of it. It's a little more, it's a little more uptown if you will, but this is what's kind of cool. So this is my, this, we call this like the, we call it the saloon, but this is like basically my office where I write songs and I do sit at a bar here, you know, oh, nice. and, but this is the sign. I don't know if you'd be able to see it, but this is one of the coolest gifts my wife got for me. Uh, oh, nice. Can you see it? Okay. In the video. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So, so uh, yeah, that was a sign that was carved by the guy across the street who was a tech ed teacher. And it's kind of an odd, it's just a very odd design, the shape of it. Uh, but that's that's the one that was made. So she had it. She had an, an exact replica made um, and had South carved in the bottom. So Siddle Saloon South uh, is kind of my way of carrying on the torch, if you will. And so what's your favorite memory of whether it was when your grandpa was alive or after your uncle took it and sort of moved it? What's your favorite memory within that space? Oh, man. It's so hard to say. Um, I, I feel like I'm dodging the question, but it's it's almost impossible to have a favorite memory because it was just every Steeler game, you know, every, you know, there'd be a Christmas party every year. There'd be uh, a lot of our own, bir- you know, birthdays, me and my cousins. There's just so many, but I think, I think if I had to go back when I was, I would say it was just those, the Memorial Day picnics that I remember, you know, when I was five, so maybe it was only two that I can really remember because I was so young, but right. um, You know, when my pap was there and had the ping pong table in the garage and horseshoe pits outside and everybody was just having the best day ever. Um, That those are probably the ones that really stand out to me the most. That's amazing. Well, I love learning about family and I know that's something that's important for you, but let's move on to the music and your musical background and talk about, you talked about your parents having a love of music and your grandparents really instilling that country music within you. And so growing up, where did your musical interests lie? Yeah. So my, as I said, my, my, I feel like my dad's music was really my first the, the stuff that really sunk into me first and, and still probably is the deepest for me. And that's stuff like, um, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Seger, the Eagles, James Taylor, um, that kind of seventies rock and roll really. And singer songwriter stuff. Um, so when I, that was really, you know, again, my, my earliest inspirations. And then, when I, when I got it into my own music, you know, it was stuff like John Mayer, Counting Crows, Matchbox 20, you know, the stuff that was on the radio in the late 90s. Yep. Um, so that was really this, when I picked up a guitar and started to write, that was probably what it sounded like at the beginning. 
just because that was what I was hearing and kind of what felt like it was my own, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And tell me about David Gray's album, White Ladder, and what that album meant for you back in sort of your early teenage years. Yeah, man, you, I don't know where you found all this information. You're just hitting every spot right here. You're just saying all the magic words, man. I love it. So David Gray, I, I was introduced. I, I'm, I can't believe I left him out. So he was a couple years later when I was a senior in high school. I had a uh, an English teacher that his name was Mr. Casagranda, but I actually had him for study hall. So we and I, my desk was right up to his and he had turned me on to so much music. Um, Ray LaMontagne was, you know, uh, guys like Matt Wirtz and Dave Barnes that were here in Nashville still that have become good friends of mine. And David Gray was another. So I, I discovered David Gray on a mix CD that he made for me. And that led me to the White Ladder album. And that was the one, you know, I used to love to put music on. My family would have dinner. And, I, you know, it would be, so this was before Bluetooth and all that stuff. So this was just like a CD player and a stereo in the living room. Right. And a handful of CDs that were in there. So my, I'd say, Mom, I'm going to put some music on. She, she'd always say, just like, Make sure it's not too loud, whatever. Make sure it's, and, and I just started getting the habit of throwing on David Gray White Ladder for dinner, I think every single night. <laughs> I mean, almost every night for, a, for, I mean, geez, probably four or five years. Oh, wow. Uh, and then it just, ha- it just suited her, it suited me. My dad was cool with it. And it just was like, kind of became a, a habit of listening to that record. So, because, and to, to this day, my high school friends, Whenever that record comes on, they go, man, I feel like I'm at your house right now. Like I'm sitting in your living room. Um, so it just, it kind of became our, unofficially became our, our family dinner music. So, um, you know, that, that has sunken deep into my, <laughs> my psyche and my nerves. Yeah. Right. And now, what? so when you started playing the guitar, 13, 14, when you received your first guitar, how quickly after that did you start getting the itch to play in bands? And what was your very first band that you played in? Yeah, I honestly had the itch to play in band, band pretty quick. You know, I started when I picked up a guitar, I, I, I was as I, I learned chords and I, I started writing songs as I learned chords, which was it was just my instinct to do that. Um, and I think, you know, you're 14 you know, everybody wants to be in a band, right? I mean, yep. so for, for me, I, was, I, I wasn't a great athlete. I wasn't great at school. Um, so music was, was my, my way. You know, that was, that was my way of, of, of having social relevance <laughs> and getting the girls, you know? Right. So uh, it was pretty quick. Um, pretty quick, man. I, you know, some buddies that I went to school with that were kind of in a similar spot. We just everyone kind of was gravitated to a different instrument and we, we said, let's get together and make, make some noise. So our first band was, man, we were called line of reason. It was such a serious freaking name. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, we, we practiced at our friend Dylan's house and we did our first show at the eighth grade winter, you know, holiday festival in the cafeteria. So that was where it all began. That's amazing. And what type of music were you playing back then? It, you know, it was, it was bad music. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was our original music. It was, it was just a hodgepodge of, 
you know, pro- like those influences I talked about, kind of like we were trying to sound like, I don't even, honestly, we all, everyone in the band had different influences. In my mind, you're trying to sound like John Mayer, the County Crows. Now, if you'd asked the drummer, he was probably trying to sound like something corporate. And the other our guitar player was probably trying to sound like Creed. Right. So put all of that together. That was our sound. I do remember doing an, a terrible cover of Stain's out, the song Outside. Right, yeah. Which, which really is, I mean, looking back, I'm on the outside. I'm looking in. I mean, if that's not how everybody feels in eighth grade, then that, you know, you were having a good experience, but so that it was just so bad. That's amazing. And throughout this career, this is a career of taking risks of stepping to the edge and jumping off. And now I want to talk about an experience that I'm not sure what age you were, but it was at Kennywood park. And there was this steel phantom roller coaster, I believe, that you were always afraid to ride. But at one point, your friends got you to ride it. Now, within that experience and just experiences like that moving forward, how important are they for you to show you that you can take risks? It is okay to do something you're afraid of. Once again, man, you really your homework. That was uh that was my buddy Ryan Schoenberger, who's still a friend, still a good friend of mine. But that was in fifth grade. Um, I he I don't know how he did it, but he got me to ride the Steel Phantom, which at the time was one of the tallest roller coasters in America. Oh wow! Uh, and I was I'm still scared of heights. So, you know, I, I remember getting off that thing and feeling like this incre- this crazy, you know, rush of exhilaration and feeling so proud and so empowered. And, I never really thought about the connection of that to taking risks now, but I'm sure there is one, you know, cause that's a very formative time. So I think, you know, when, when things come up, it's, you, ha- you know, you kind of kind of forge a new path to try something new. It's, it's obviously really scary, but I, I, I guess how I connect to that is just saying it's, it's a really empowering thing to overcome that and to step out in faith and the choose to grow and, uh, and it also is pretty fun too, you know, much like a roller coaster. It looks scary, but it ends up being pretty fun too, most of the time. Well, that's right. That feeling you had when you stepped off that roller coaster. Now in your career, I mean, when you get to sing the national anthem for your hometown football team or you're opening for Willie Nelson or you have these big experiences, when you look back on those, is it a similar feeling to stepping out of that experience? It is so similar, Brandon. You're, you're right, man. I mean, I mean, both of those experiences, particularly, because I was very nervous about both of those. I mean, maybe even more than the Steel Phantom. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the singing the national anthem, I was, I was nervous. I was a nervous wreck for weeks um, about that. Um, and even right the moment I was up to getting ready to sing it in the middle of the field, I was, that was the peak nerves. And it really did feel like riding a roller coaster. It didn't feel like we got to in the home of the brave that the ride started to come, you know, to a stop. Um, but man, what a, it was a high. It was a, it was a rush, a thrill, and uh, very the Willie Nelson thing was very similar. I was so I was really intimidated, you know, by opening for his audience. You know, such a legacy act and a pure country musician. You know, my sound being a little bit more on the fringes, I just didn't know how it was going to go, but. It went so much better than I thought. And him and his band were, were so kind and welcoming to us and encouraging. So, again, very, very similar. 
That's yeah. amazing. And now within this career, after high school, is this the career you wanted? Is this the career you knew that you wanted to chase after playing in those high school bands and then breaking out and doing some solo stuff before high school ended? Did you know this was it? I really did. You know, I, 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 when I say it, this was it, you know, I, all that I really knew was I wanted to somehow make a living playing, you know, writing and performing my own music. You know, that was as much as I knew. And um, I didn't, I didn't really, I had, I didn't know all the different ways that can look, you know, that's something that I, I have learned and I'm still learning as I go. But as far as, you know, if it, what, you know, with it being just writing and performing my own music um, full time, that, that, I, that was it. You know, I had, I really had a strong sense and passion. This is what I was, was going to do. And frankly, didn't really have interest in anything else. It was, it was completely engulfed in, in passion. Around it. And now around 18 or 19, did you get a, an offer, a record offer from someone in Nashville? Did I read that correctly? So I, I did get an offer, but it wasn't from somebody in Nashville. It was oh, okay. actually uh, from this independent label based down in Orlando. Um, it was, they were called 111 Records. And the owner of the label uh, is a guy named Brad Fischetti. He was in that, the band LFO. You remember? Right, yeah. On the block. Half the people watching this have no idea who they are. But <laughs> yeah. If you're 30 or older, you probably remember but he, you know, this is way after their success. You know, he had a band, a, a label that um, had some had some bands. And my high school band, I mentioned, had opened for one of them, and kind of through the CD through that channel, and ended up getting a, a deal. But um, but ultimately turned it down to to come to Nashville. Yeah, what was that feeling like when you turned that down? And I mean, what did you know of Nashville? Because it's not like you grew up close to the yeah. city. So what did you know of it before moving down? You know, what I knew of it was, um, I, I mentioned these names earlier, but guys like Matt Wirtz and Dave Barnes um, and even Matt Carney. So there were kind of these like independent singer songwriter guys that I knew of here. Obviously I knew of Tim McGraw. I knew of Kenny Chesney, you know, and you know, the big acts on the radio, Taylor Swift. I knew of all those people. And I listened to them a little bit, but the stuff that I was really into at that time, being 18, was more this, you know, these guys, this crew of guys that, you know, had made these, you know, these really cool different careers without the radio. And um, I loved their music. And um, that was really what I knew. I knew of the Bluebird Cafe. I knew of Music Row, but I, I, I didn't, I just learned of Music Row like the year before I came here. And I read about it in a book my mom got out of the library about Nashville. And I, and I saw people write songs on music where they write in offices. I was like, I'm never going to do that. Now I did. <laughs> I've spent about 15 years doing it. But, you know, I, I so, so much of, 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 you know, particularly country music and music row and all of that. I didn't really get that until I got here. I was so naive. And, uh, you know, it was definitely a huge learning experience for me. And here. so you went to Belmont for a couple of years and then I believe you dropped out before finishing. I think, is that yeah. correct? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So when you dropped out over those two years, had you been already sort of diving into that Nashville scene or was it not until you left Belmont that you really started to dive in and figure out what was going on? So I was, I would say I really didn't dive in until the net into the Nashville 
music world until after I dropped out. The years I was there, I was very active and, you know, I was, I was writing and performing, you know, with guys I went to school with who, you know, I was there at the same time as, as Florida Georgia line and Greg Bates and Parker Welling, you know, went on to become a hit songwriter. So I was just, and so many of my friends, I was making Nan, even in those years are now the head of publishing companies and working at agencies. But at the time there was none of that. We were just college friends that loved music. So I was really investing in those relationships and, and collaborating with the kids around me. And, um, and I would go tour some on the weekends here and there. I, I was trying to book my own shows and doing some recording. So I, it was, it was honestly a perfect little kind of developmental bubble. You know, we were protected from, from so much of the, the industry and just only had these relationships and these, you know, excitement around where they all might be headed. Um, but it wasn't until I dropped out that I really, probably a year after I dropped out was when I, I got, I got signed and picked up by a publishing company and started to write on music row. And that's what really opened my eyes to, you know, to the whole industry. Right. And one of your first experiences was the three amigos tour with Ben Rector and Andrew Rip. Now, what did that experience mean for you in showing that this career was possible? And then also those relationships with Ben and Andrew, what have those meant throughout this career? Oh man, they've been, it's been huge. Um, You know, so going back to, I mentioned Dave Barnes, you know, Dave, Dave introduced me to Ben and Andrew, you know, he, he kind of knew of all of us from, you know, uh, Andrew had opened for Dave in California and Ben had opened for Dave in Oklahoma and Texas. And I met Dave here in Nashville and he kind of, he saw all of us and said, man, like I wish when I was y'all's age that somebody would have pulled me aside and just told me what I was in for and kind of given me a community um, that could really, you know, help me through that. So I got to give so much credit to Dave and huge thanks to him for being so intentional um, because those relationships with those guys have been, have been just an incredible gift, you know, and I just saw Ben a couple of days ago, you know, we were hanging out on Memorial Day with our kids and, and Andrew and I are still really close and our wives have actually all become better friends than we are. They all are better friends than we are now. They keep in touch so much better. Um, but man, I, you know, that first tour was, was such a special thing because with all of our powers combined, we were able to do a, a you know, a, a national tour we're all kind of regional acts. So we got to do that. And, you know, it was also the first taste of seeing, you know, like some guys had more fans and places than others. And you're dealing with the comparison and, you know, getting the first taste of that, which is one of the hardest things about being an artist that a lot of people don't like to talk about is that, that, you know, that how, how challenging that can be. Um, but we got to do it in such a healthy way as friends with a mentor who kind of gave us a heads up about that. It's like, listen, guys, this is going to happen to you. You're going to go out and you're going to see after a show, a hundred people are going to want to talk to Andrew and no one's going to want to talk to Ben or vice versa. And you're going to sit there and have all this self-doubt and insecurity. Um, But we work through that stuff together, man. And uh, I think it has to this day prepared me to be just a healthier human being and learning how important it is to cheer everybody on around you, regardless of how you're feeling and just, making a point of that, you know, it's so important. So yeah, man, been huge. Those guys are awesome. 
we've all kind of gone different ways, but we've, we've been able to cheer each other on and support each other and just honestly, just be friends, man, through, through all. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw in 2014 ish, I believe is when you were able to make the move to being a full-time musician and you posted that you were at the top of this mountain, but then as you looked out, you saw all these other mountains that were left to climb. And I, I thought that was a great analogy. I've never heard it put that way. And I thought that was so great. And so within this career, as you have gotten to the top of mountains, what, what feelings do you have to take with you at that point to stay grounded and not be looking too far ahead and be thankful for where you are? Man, it's a great, it's a great question. Uh, you know, as just to unpack that analogy a little more, you know, you, you, you put it well, but it's just, you know, as I said, my dream was just to make a living playing music. And once I got there, I saw suddenly, oh my gosh, there's a lot of ways to do that. I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting right here on this mountain and Tim McGraw's way up here and, you know, and, 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 you know, and just friends of mine have made it over here. And then the songwriters are way over there. And that looks like a cool mountain too. So um, it's, 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 I think it's, you, you, you know, I think it's a mix of staying grateful for the mountain I've been able to climb and also knowing that it's not just a given to stay here, you know, just, you don't just get to make a lit it's not just arrival. I just continue to have to work to just be right where I am. And I love the work I get to do. And as I look to other mountaintops that I think about climbing, um, I really think more than anything now, I think I go, is that a path I want to be on? You know, not, not like, do I want to be on top of that mountain, but do I like the path to it? Do I like the people that are going to walk with me? And um, that's just as much about reaching the top of the mountain. You know, I think if anything I've learned, it's like, man, it's, it sounds so cliche, but it really is about the journey to it and who you're walking with and who you got beside you. Um, because that's what the experience is going to be. You know, that, that, that point at the top is going to be quick. And once you get there, you're just going to see more. Um, but really that when you're on that journey, all you see is where you're headed. And I think, I guess with that, you know, for lack of a better term, it's just, it's choosing the particular climbs that sound fun to you and what climbers you want to be with while you're doing it. That's kind of how I, how I make those decisions moving forward. And once again, just staying grateful that I even get to do that, that I even get to have a view of a sight of it and to say, let's, you know, let's go. And so throughout your albums, I mean, 2014 and wide open was your third album, but it was sort of your first album in Nashville and sort of as you were into the scene. And so as you've moved from album to album, is there a point where you're like, this is me, like you found yourself, you found your voice, you found who you wanted to be as an artist, or is that ever evolving as you go throughout this journey? I think it's, it's ever evolving. You know, I think when I, you know, a friend of mine, Paul Barber, who actually produced my first record, he, he said, you know, the record, the record's really just a snapshot picture of, of where you are, you know, and that's, that's all it's ever going to be. So anytime, anytime you go back and look at a picture of yourself that you, you can, you, you never stay that. Right. Right. And that, that's, I think what a record is not to say that you don't tap into things that are really at the core, 
And I, and I like to think, you know, I think I've done that on every one of my albums. Um, I really am. I really am proud of all of them. Uh, but I think, I think they were all, they're all just a snapshot, you know, so certain things kind of come into focus, and come out of focus. And, uh, you know, you, you, your hair, your hair do changes, your style changes and your, uh, and your taste changes. Uh, and it's even the sound of my voice is, has changed throughout my album. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think they're all, that's really the best I can say. And obviously, you know, my, this, this newest album coming out, make a little room is a snapshot of right now. So, of course, right now, I feel like it's the most, it's the best representation of, of me, you know, to my core. Um, but, uh, you know, 10 years from now, will I say that? I'll, I'll probably say it's the best representation of me right now. You know, I think that's, that's the best any artist can really do is just try to take a really good, accurate picture uh, of where you are and document it well. And your first two albums, I believe you just put them back on Spotify because of popular demand. And so how cool is that to have that original music and still have fans wanting it and wanting to listen to it and not having it as something that's hidden away in the past? Yeah, it, it's it's really cool. And, you know, and, and whenever we took those records off, I really just didn't think that many people cared. I, I that, To be honest with you, you know, I just... I was like, oh, these are old. If anybody, you know, anybody that, you know, wants these already has them, you know, <laughs> and uh, and it's been very humbling to see, you know, how much people enjoy those records. And, you know, and, and it was, I think it's also interesting, as I say, for me, it's a snapshot. It's also a snapshot for them to that point in their lives when they listen to it, you know, because that, that's really the value I think people have in music, apart from just, you know, enjoying a great song. It's also the fact that it's tr so transportational. So some of those, those fans that listen to those records, the feedback I was getting was, man, oh my gosh, like, dude, this is taking me back to 2009 and I'm in this, my Honda Civic and I'm pulling out of my home, you know, all these specific memories. Um, and it's, that, that's really been, a, again, that's kind of been the great uh, humbling thing for me is to go, this really actually, actually has little to do with me or how good this music even is. It's just simply that it meant something to you. And it will always mean something to you because it takes you right back to a certain place you can't get to again, other than through stuff like music. And so when you listen to it or you play songs from those albums, where does that take you? It takes me right back to where I was when I was making it. You know, it takes the, you know, my first record, All the Faint Lights, takes me to, um, you know, half of those songs were written in my dorm at Belmont, you know, down in the practice rooms and in a long distance, heartbreaking relationship. Um, and I just, I honestly, I was a ball of nerves, so anxious. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so it takes me, it takes me to that specific place, you know, trying to, I, I just said, you know, I was really just wrestling with so much having just left my hometown and just trying to find, navigate all these things for the first time. Um, so when I listen to those records, it's, it's, it's raw emotion is what I hear. You know, as I continue to make records, um, you know, you learn the craft of music and, and particularly country music is such a craft. Right. So I love that craft. It's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's trying to build a really good country song. Um, 
but that was before I knew any of that. So it was just raw emotion. And for a long time, it was hard for me to listen to that stuff because of that. But now I think now that I'm so much further from it, I think I can just appreciate it for what it is. And that's been part of what's made it fun and easier for me to put those songs back up. It's right. just have a different look at it. That's awesome. And so coming into the new record, Make a Little Room, was this a planned album? Or was it something that sort of came out of the past two years and the emotions that you felt over the past two years that you just felt you had to sort of bundle that up and and share it with the world? Yeah, well, you know, I I always kind of tentatively plan on making a record every couple of years, but I also would never do it if I didn't feel like I had the songs or if I had a particular vision. So my team at Creative Nation, you know, they say, you know, they asked me, you know, they said, hey, a year ago or so, do you think you're ready to make a record? I said, no, I don't think I am. And they're like, okay, good. That's right. Let's keep writing. And then, you know, four months later, through the pandemic, I just, they said, what about now? And I was like, I think now I'm ready. And it just takes a couple, for me, it takes a couple key songs that kind of reveal a heart and reveal a vision. Um, And once I got a glimpse of that, and I said, "I, I know I've got, I've got six to eight songs here that can really fit this vision. And I've got a few more months to write, you know, if we plan a record now, um, that was when I ultimately decided to make the record. Right. And so the writing on this album, the last couple of records, like you mentioned, Steel Town was about where you grew up and it was very personal. I mean, you wrote about your grandpa's bar, you wrote about your Winnebago. And so it was very personal for you. Now going into this record, is it that personal still, or is it more sort of just pulling the emotion out of you, but not as focused as maybe the past albums were? I would say it's, it's, it's definitely as personal, maybe even more personal. Um, it's just a different, again, again, it's, a, it's just a different snapshot, you know, uh, Steel Town was kind of, was a looking back, very much a looking back album. Um, and Born Ready after that was a highway album full of traveling songs. And Blue Jeans was was a uh, was kind of a uh, I don't know that was just a breaking in life record. That, that one that one's hard for me to pinpoint. Uh, that kind of had a little bit of everything woven into it. Um, but this one is is very personal um, and and really a product of living through the pandemic and um, welcoming my second child in the world, just cementing my fatherhood. You know in a powerful way and uh uh also you know that pandemic just kind of brought a lot of things into focus for me um and also a lot of things out of focus so it's just um it's kind of how i processed um the weight of the world how i you know kind of processed how you know refining a vision for my own life and what i want that to look like um, so I'd say it's it's deeply personal, not a, not not a nostalgic record, really. There's maybe one or two songs with some nostalgia in it, but it's very much kind of a coming of age. You know, this is where we are right now, you know, being a grown man with two kids and um, and looking ahead, you know, how we want what kind of life we want to build. Right. And how important is this release for you as an artist? Because you mentioned your your sons, your first son was born in 2019. And from your social media, it seemed like you kind of took a step back 
from the road and from touring to be with your son and then 2020 hits of course and you're you can't go anywhere and so now that we're getting back into normal life how important is this release for you as an artist it's really important you know i i say important you know i i, I don't know i can't tell if that's the word it's just i'm really excited about it you know i think i got you know it was it was so tough um you know, we had to cancel the born, the blue jeans tour. It was really tough because I really have stripped down my touring, you know, in, in a lot of ways the last few years since becoming a dad. So when I do, so when I, when I set out to do shows, there's shows I really, really want to do. And they're really, they are, I guess they are important to me. Right. But when that, when that rug got pulled out from us, that was, that was pretty heartbreaking. Um, and uh, so I'm coming into this, this album, you know, um, with some extra oomph, I think, stored up and really ready, just ready to deliver, you know, and, uh, and get out there and celebrate it with people. And now are you in the middle of the hometowns and campgrounds tour at the moment? We are. Yeah. Yeah. We're in it right now. We're, we're on a break at the moment. You know, we did, we did a run in the spring. We have some shows in July we're doing, but really in the fall, um, after the record comes out, after we do some dates supporting the record in August, um, we're going to get back out on there in September and October. How yeah. special has that become? I mean, you started in 2013 and then it was 2017, 2017 and every year except for 2020 since. And so how cool is that just to be able to jump in the RV with your family and go out and just hit these really intimate shows with people who are just super excited to have you there? Yeah. It's, it's an amazing thing, Brendan. I, I, it's been one of the greatest surprises and one of the greatest blessings in my career. You know, you talk about like moving to Nashville. Did I see that being, you know, a big part of my life and career? Heck no. I never would have thought about that. Um, but it, it's just become such a cool tradition. I mean, and it, it I really is an opportunity for me. I get to show up as all the, all the, all, in all the ways I want to, you know, I want to be a present husband, a present dad that's taking his family on adventures and including them, you know, in my passion and what I do. And, and then I get to make an up close, you know, personal connection with so many people that appreciate the work I'm doing and, and relate to the music. Um, so it's incredibly fulfilling. It's, 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 it's been so much fun, man. I, 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 I absolutely love it. I work my butt off out there, you know, I wear a lot of hats, you know, being the driver and the stage manager and, and dad and husband, all the things that make it amazing, make it difficult physically, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I sleep like a baby out there. <laughs> my heart is full to the brim. That's amazing. And I saw a quote from you on the new album and you said, it's about the people around you and the little things within life. And so, I mean, with the hometowns and campgrounds tour i mean i think that just puts it into perspective that you there's not many artists out there i don't think who are chasing this dream who would continue to just jump in an rv and go play these just small and intimate shows because everyone's always chasing the big stuff right so I think it just really showcases who you are as an artist and just those, the fact that connections are the important thing for you within this career. They, they are, they really are. Um, 
you know, and I've gotten to do, you know, some big stuff, you know, that I don't, I, I know my career isn't big, but I've gotten to step on some big stages and do some big stuff. And I'm so thankful for that. I, and, and I think as cool as those things are, I think they've shown me, you know, that's not the reason I get up in the morning, you know, and I think everyone's, that's really everybody's the question we all need to ask ourselves, right? What is getting me out of bed? What do I get excited about specifically? Um, and I'm thankful I've been able to just to realize that and own that. And it's difficult to do that in a town like Nashville, where there are so many, we, we got the charts and the awards and all the, the platinum that's going, you know what, that stuff's great. I would love to collect a couple of those along the way, but that's not the thing that's making me want to get up in the morning. It's, it's, it's making our, it's writing a really personal song and knowing that I'm going to get to go share that with somebody and they're going to relate to it. And maybe we can even drink a beer and hang out in their driveway, you know, and, and just, I don't know, that's just it for, that just does it for me, man. It's just, it's simple, but it, um, it does it for me. Thank you once again so much for listening. And thank you to Steve for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his new single, Make a Little Room, wherever you stream your music. And keep an eye out on August 12th for the release of the album by the same name, Make a Little Room. Please also be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests and also receive exclusive content. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow and maybe even leave us a review if you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.